blessed are the persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. There is this idea um, when we walk our way through the Beatitudes, we understand that we can't just come out on the other side and just hope for behavior modification. In fact, if you want to scroll forward a couple of slides, what we've been looking at over the last couple of months, next one, Bear, uh, is, is this idea that the inward journey always needs to precede the outward expression. Otherwise, all we have is stale religion. Religion is all about good behavior. Religion is all about this idea that I just need to maybe do some things out of obligation or a sense of duty or it's the right thing to do. Except that God shows up and he wants to do something in our inner being, starting with our hearts. And so Jesus comes with this kind of um, inauguration, this, this coming out party where he begins to say, there's a new way to be human. And he gives us the Beatitudes. And so you can see about being poor in spirit or mourn or gentle or, or hungering and thirsting. There's things that need to happen inside of us because if they happen out inside of us, the natural overflow will be our expression to be able to be a peacemaker, to be able to, to be persecuted or, or to be pure in heart or to show mercy. So there's this inward journey that needs to happen uh, or precede the outward expression. But if there was one that might be most difficult, it's the idea of being persecuted for righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That might be the most problematic of all because it feels like my faith is experiencing defeat. It feels like I'm losing. If somehow I have to incur a negativity, a suffering, or some kind of judgment or discrimination simply because of what I hold to be near and dear or true or right. Jesus comes along and he's wanting us to live counterculturally. He's wanting us to live differently, but he's not wanting us to just sort of conform to the culture or somehow have to just completely endure. He's wanting us to be changed from the inside out. And so what I want to talk about is what persecution means. And so um, the, the idea uh, is, is the persecution, as I began to unpack this word, this is where it becomes really fascinating. So if you look at the Greek word for persecution in Greek, it's diako, which could also render the same word pursue. The same word that comes out of Hebrew is the word radaf, which conveys also both meanings, either to persecute or to pursue. So this verse could also be translated as blessed are those who pursue because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. I don't know how that strikes you because one of the things that, if we're honest, I don't often experience persecution. I don't always think that everyone agrees with me. I don't always feel like I get treated equally. I, I've grown up feeling at different times in my life, and I know this is a, a bold statement, but when you grow up in a multicultural city like San Francisco, you grow up when you know that you're not the prevailing economic or ethnic class. And so you end up experiencing this sort of minority syndrome. Maybe you've been in a place where you felt like, I'm the oddball here. 
I'm the one that doesn't fit in in this room. Whatever that means, economically, maybe it means educationally, maybe it means culturally, maybe it means gender-wise, you're in a room full. And it's like uh, a couple years ago where my friend Nisa invited me to speak at a women's retreat. And I thought, are, are you sure? I could find up a, a gal to come do a talk a little bit better. Whatever. My point is that I think we experience minority settings where we might be the lone wolf, but the idea of persecution, well, that's a whole different ballgame. So when I start to dig into the scripture and I realize, you know, it's not just about being persecuted, it's also to be um, pursued. So in Hebrew, the idea, if a person pursued something like a passionate desire, in fact, we might have language that says we're compelled or we're passionate about a goal. Could also, it's like saying we can be consumed with a passion or goal. So the verse could be something like either we're consumed with a desire for righteousness as much as it can also mean that we're persecuted by others because of righteousness. Think about that. Blessed are those who are pursued because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. The bottom line is that I think a deep and maturing faith is learning to see God in all things. Whether it be God's prosperity or God's provision, uh, or whether it be sort of in difficulty, whether it be in struggle or in success, whether it be um, for somehow blessing or whether it be in the midst of burnout, God is in all things. And when we can start to adopt this sort of spiritual lens and be able to realize God is in this and we know we're not alone, all of a sudden he's saying, the kingdom of heaven has come near to you. See, we live in a world that we've redefined what is normal beyond what God intended for what is normal. See, what God intended pre-sin into the world, pre-Genesis 3, was that we could live our lives with no shame, no fear, no regret. But you know what our normal is? Brokenness. You know what our normal is? Disease. You know what our normal is? Natural disasters. I don't think those are things that God ever intended. But because of sin and the fall, all of these things have been introduced. God has been trying to restore and repair his creation ever since sin was introduced into the world. And what we get to experience in a deepening, maturing faith as we give our hearts to Christ is an awareness of God's presence in all things. And that doesn't even mean we have to have a goosebump. That doesn't mean it has to be like sugary sweet. But surely the presence of God is in this place. There are things in my life, and I think that you could testify to the same thing, that God showed up even though it was hard. There are things in my life I would never want to repeat, except that I'm glad that I went through it once. And God has been redeeming that season of our lives. My wife and I went through four miscarriages. I didn't want to go through one. But there's been such a healing in our lives, and it's been interesting, 22 years of being married, how many people have found us who are battling infertility and specifically miscarriages? Well, we know something about that. That's something that we can offer a little comfort. I think 
our Christian life is about deepening our roots. So Jesus shows up and he says, the kingdom of God is at hand. In other words, it's not just some future place that you go when you die. It's here and now. At least there's tastes of it. Have you ever had a taste of heaven on earth? Not just because it was something really good to taste, but something that just felt like God was present. We've all experienced hell on earth whether it be cancer, whether it be divorce, whether it be bankruptcy, whether it be, uh, whether it be um, brokenheartedness or let down in, 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 in relationships. But we get these tastes of heaven on earth, and I believe it was God's intention that it would sustain us till ultimately he returns and restores all things like he had intended. And so there is a passage that probably would suit this idea. So when we start talking about blessed are the persecuted, I'm keeping in mind this idea of blessed are those who are pursued because of righteousness, for theirs are the kingdom of heaven. There's a story, and there's a story about a boy who's now become a man, but he was born blind. And Jesus does a healing on him. And what's significant is the backdrop in which, the context in which he heals. I don't know if you remember, but the story goes, it was on a Sabbath day, and there wasn't supposed to be this kind of effort expended. Except Jesus, with great intentionality, wants to heal the guy on the Sabbath. And so the disciples, and I believe this was part of his disciple-making experience, it was illustrative, and he was trying to instill something, teach something to them and us about his plan, his purposes. So what he does is, as the disciples are walking along, the disciples ask him, they said, um, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? They were living in such a rule-based culture that there was a belief that was taught by Pharisees and even some of the rabbis that, that a child could be born with God's wrath because of the sin of their parents. Now how you feel. Jesus comes and he completely refutes that and he tries to correct it and he says, neither this man nor his parents sin, but this happened that the work of God may be displayed in his life. As long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me because night is coming. So what Jesus goes on to do is he spits in the mud, he wipes it around and he washes his eyes and he sends him to this pool to clean himself and now the, the guy who's been born blind can see. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who are pursued because of righteousness, because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Watch what happens to this guy. So he shows up again, and people vaguely recognize him, except they're used to seeing him sitting down like this, not being able to make eye contact. So it's hard to see someone in a new light. And his friends and neighbors start asking him, this familiar beggar, because that was his only means of existence, isn't this the beggar? And it's like, yeah, yeah, that was me. And they're like, it can't be. He's like, it is. And then they get his parents involved. And then they start asking him. And so he goes before the elders. Let me just pick it up. His neighbors uh, and those who had uh, formerly seen him begging, isn't this the same man who used to sit and beg? And some claim that it was. Others said, no, he only looks like him. But he himself insisted, I am the man. 
How then were your eyes open, they demanded. And then he replied, and notice there's going to be a progression here. He said, the man, the man, they called Jesus. Just sort of a generic note that the man that they called Jesus made some mud, put it in my eyes, and he told me to go to this pool and wash. And so I went and washed, and now I can see. Well, where is this man? They asked. He says, I don't know. So then they brought him to the Pharisees and the man who had been, been born blind. And of course, it was on the Sabbath, so they wanted to get all legalistic because they're about the rules. Uh, and so the Pharisees also asked them, how he received sight. And he goes through the explanation. They said, well, this man is not from God. If he was, he'd keep the Sabbath. He'd know better than to heal on the Lord's day, right? Because we love our rules. It helps us to know um, how we're doing, at least at the expense of others, right? At least I'm not as bad as that joker. And so they're trying to keep the rules. Uh, and so uh, <clears throat> uh, he says, but others ask, how can a sinner do such miracles? So they were divided. Finally, they turned again, again, to the blind man and says, what do you have to say about him? It was, it was your eyes who were open. And then he kind of escalates it. He gives them the highest praise of the day. He says, the man replied, he is a prophet. And the Jews still did not believe that he had been blind and received his sight until they asked his parents, is this not your son? He says, yeah, it's his son. Now, here's what would happen. If you got sideways with the Pharisees, they had the ability to cut you off from complete fellowship. It was, it was the practice of shunning. It was, if you disagree with us, we will socially ostracize you. We won't let you be a part of the political, social fabric of our community. And so they took sort of this posture of, he is of age, ask him yourself. Because they knew what it would mean if they disagreed with these religious leaders. And so the guy, having nothing to lose except this growing testimony, has to defend himself again. A second time, they summoned the man who came in blind and <clears throat> give glory to God, they said. We know this man is a sinner. And he says, well, whether he's a sinner or not, I don't know. But one thing I know I was blind, but now I see. Blessed are those who are persecuted for righteousness because theirs is the kingdom of heaven. But blessed are those who are being pursued because of righteousness for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Do you see how this is playing out? God's favor rests upon him even though his, his colleagues or his peers wouldn't see this as a good thing. The guy can see. The guy has experienced a miraculous healing and they want to be right and put, protect their small doctrine of God. And so then he says, and he gets kind of smart alecky in verse 27, I have told you already and you did not listen. Why do you come and want to hear it again? Do you too want to become his followers or his disciples? And so now he's like, look it, you know, he's gone from the man Jesus healed me to he's a prophet. And now he's saying, well, he must be like, maybe you want to be one. Of, he's got a following. Do you want to join his following too? Like some of these other rabbis? And so now it's kind of become this little, um, he picks a fight with them and they hurl the insults. And, um, and you're this fellow's disciples. We're disciples of Moses. And, uh, and the man answered, he says, now this is remarkable. 
you don't know where this man comes from, yet he opened my eyes. We know that God does not listen to sinners. He listens to godly men who does his will. Nobody has ever heard of opening his eyes of a man born blind. If this were not from God, he could do nothing. To this they reply, you were steeped in sin at birth, and how dare you lecture us? And they threw him out. Blessed are those who are both pursued and persecuted because of righteousness. And my point is that as we grow in faith, one of the things that needs or can happen is this growing awareness of the presence of God. So our faith isn't contingent on circumstances, but our faith is rooted in the constant, unchanging hope of the glory of God that one day we'll make all things right. And occasionally we get to experience just a taste of heaven on earth. It would be really fun to go around the room and start to hear testimonies where God showed up in healing physically or provided financially or, or you met someone at the right time where they were just a godsend of a friend or a companion, where God provided something unexpected and you didn't even know that you were supposed to pray for it. We have these heaven on earth experiences constantly and God wants to give us a taste of a new reality. And so part of what it means to deepen our faith is to have this sense that God is in all things and can work through all things. Blessed are those who are persecuted or given a hard time because of righteousness, because it's worth it, because it's for God's glory, not my namesake. Blessed are those who pursue and people ostracize you. I've got to tell you, I live in a community that I've enjoyed good friendship, but being a pastor, it is very socially awkward when someone finds out you're a pastor. Because I've told you this before, but one of two things happen. Either they start confessing because they have a guilty conscience. Oh, I haven't been to church in so long, pastor. Or, uh, or they, 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 they start trying to say, relate to you and, or, or they just stop talking to you, right? Um, but they'll say, oh, you know, my uncle's brother's cousin's roommate, he was a pastor. I'm like, great. That means a lot to me. And so there has been times because of my day job that people get a little self-conscious about inviting the pastor around because then all of a sudden like if I have three drinks and I, I have to be a little more filtered with my speech I get a little uncomfortable or if I'm on the golf course and it's like the 11th hole and then they realize what I do for a living and they're like uh, like how much have I been cussed it's this socially awkward moment but I feel like at times it's cost me or or push people away because no one wants, people like having pastors in their lives, but not close pastors. You know, it's like, let's keep you at a safe distance so I could at least, you know, drop a few F-bombs or something like that. I don't know. <laughs> Blessed are those who pursue righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You know what I've been finding is this wonderful family of faith that I get to celebrate life with and experiment with my faith. That faith isn't just a static belief. Faith is something we practice together. And the best way to do faith is not by myself. If you've ever had a really powerful experience, the worst thing that could happen is, is, is to experience it alone. 
But if you go into something that's going to be uncomfortable, I don't want to go through that alone. The idea of going knocking on doors or visiting refugees or visiting homeless or being with poor is not something I necessarily enjoy doing on my own, but I'd much more rather be uncomfortable in community. Blessed are those who pursue righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. We get to be responsible for bringing heaven to earth, replacing it where hell on earth exists. This is the kingdom of God that is at hand. This is the kingdom of God within. This is why we need each other and the body uh, to not just sit on pews and go, oh, let's go to church. No, let's go express faith in really ways and our houses get kind of trashed and um, we get really worn out. And But God is in all things. You guys, God is doing a wonderful work in us and through us, and I couldn't be more happy. The thing about Louis Zamperini that the the, um, movie didn't tell was the rest of his story. It didn't tell the story of faith. It didn't tell the story of the PTSD. It didn't tell the story of the alcoholism. It didn't tell the story when you get to at the end of your rope and you're completely desperate, you're completely vulnerable, you're, you're about to lose your marriage and the only thing you have is to reach out for hope. There's no better time to come and find a savior. And so the, 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 if you kind of mine around the internet, if you kind of read the book, what you hear is a powerful testimony of the difference that Christ makes in a life. That it probably wouldn't have been so mainstream of a movie if they would have told what I would call, or as Paul Harvey used to call, the rest of the story.